0: everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis unexpectedly today. Hey, Megan. Very
1: unexpectedly, but we're happy to be here.
0: Always. So every once in a while, we like to come in and surprise you all on a day you're not expecting to hear from us. And I'm really excited about today's episode. You know, Megan, one of the things we get requests for probably more than anything else on this show is to represent an area of motherhood or pregnancy or birth that you and I can't talk personally about. And honestly, when we get that request, it's always a little bit challenging because this is a show where you and I share our personal experiences. That's kind of the that's the foundation of the show. So sometimes we have to get creative when it comes to telling stories that represent a different motherhood experience. So today we actually have an interview. I got to sit down and chat with a mom named Ashley Schafflitzel. When you see the spelling of her name, I think you will give me many gold stars for pronouncing that. She is the sweetest mom of two little kids who lives outside St. Louis, Missouri. Um, And I got to talk to her about her first pregnancy, which did not go exactly as planned, and the birth of her daughter, Ella, who had an extended NICU stay and is doing great today as a thriving first grader. Ashley is um, so warm and honest and fun to talk to, but we got to dig into a lot of the details surrounding Ella's birth, and it was really fascinating.
1: I love this because, you know, even though, Sarah, you and I had very different pregnancies and birth experiences, you had planned cesareans, and I had a range of different out-of-hospital births (laughs) from Mm -hmm. home to birth center, even knowing those two things, they were still kind of typical. Like, they were typical within their, you know, within their realms, right? Right. right. And so there's so many different ways that they can go. There's lots of times that someone's planning a certain experience and things go completely in a different direction. There can be high-risk factors, prematurity all kinds of stuff that happens that we didn't personally experience. I love being able to share those stories here.
0: Yeah, I do too. And one thing I think that comes through in my conversation with Ashley is when we tell these stories in retrospect, you're talking about, you know, the screening that didn't go as planned and the diagnosis that eventually came out. But when you're experiencing that, it's, it's a lot of unknown. In other words, she spent a lot of her pregnancy not knowing exactly what would happen. And then she spent a lot of a NICU stay not knowing exactly what the diagnosis would be, um, and so I think that's really helpful to remember because it's only it's only looking back that we can make it sound like a story that goes A B C D, like beginning, right. you know. Um, but yeah. but it really isn't. That's that's not how it unfolded, and I think that's um, a lot of people's experience does include that that kind of uncertainty or waiting or limbo.
1: Yeah, and can I also just throw a, a plug in here? Um, Clara was in the NICU for ten days, and she it turned out she was fine, but we you know for a few days weren't really a hundred percent sure. Um, my nephew Jack was a 34 week baby and spent um, a long time in the NICU over a month, well over a month. And my little sister was born at I believe 28 weeks and spent maybe four months in the NICU. And I have just been so amazed by NICU nurses and the level of care and um, the attention to detail and just like how incredible some of this this life saving, not only the research they do to to help along through the pregnancy and keep things going the way they should, but just the technology and care and how it's evolved over the years, it's mind boggling and truly is amazing. So if we have NICU nurses out there listening, like cheers to you. It's an amazing thing. Yes,
0: I totally agree. Ashley has a fun story about the way she stayed in touch after their NICU stay. And I I agree. Those are people who are part of your story forever and such a, Mm. such an important job. Before we get to my conversation with Ashley, we want to thank our sponsor March of Dimes for putting us in touch with her and for making this episode possible. I love working with this organization. And honestly, over the past month, I have learned so much more than I knew before about the work they're doing to help moms and babies.
1: Yeah, March of Dimes really is the leader in getting information out there about the things women can do to increase their chances of having a healthy full-term pregnancy and a healthy baby. And these are really simple, actionable things like getting enough folic acid and staying up to date on your own vaccinations. They also support research, lead programs, and provide education and advocacy to empower every mom and every family by building on their 80-year legacy of impact and innovation.
0: For more information and more helpful tips on how to give your baby the best possible start, visit marchofdimes.org/slash the mom hour. Again, that's marchofdimes.org/slash the mom hour. And now here's my conversation with Ashley Schafflitzel about her pregnancy and birth story with Ella. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the mom hour. Hi, thank you. So excited to have you on this evening. You're um, setting aside bedtime for your kiddos to be with us, and we're really excited and so thankful. To you for sharing your story. So I'm really excited about this. Thank you. Would you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, where you live and a little about your kids and how old they
2: are and what you do for a living? Sure. We are from just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. We're about 40 miles west in a littler town called Winsville, And I teach kindergarten. This is my ninth year of teaching. My husband and I have been married for 10 years. We have two beautiful children, Ella and Jake. Ella is seven and she's in first grade. Jake is three and a half, and he just kind of goes to a basic preschool daycare while I'm teaching. And we're just kind of hanging out and in the thick of being crazy and busy and, yeah, you know, all that.
0: You are around kindergartners all day. How many kindergartners do you have in your class?
2: This year, I only have 19, oh. so it's not too bad.
0: I won't even tell you about our class sizes out here in Southern California, but it's not oh gosh. it's not 19. So you are around kids all day long. Yes. Well, we are going to talk a little bit about your pregnancy with Ella and her birth story. Um, but anytime we take on a a tougher topic like that on this show, I kind of like to give spoilers because there are some some hard things we're going to talk about today. But I would love to hear what your life with Ella and Jake looks like today. And then we're going to get into, you know, the challenges you had with Ella's pregnancy. But what's it like being Ella's mom today and how's she doing and what is life like for her?
2: Yeah, Ella is um, fairly typical. She does have cerebral palsy, which causes her to have a physical delay. She's non-ambulatory, which means she doesn't walk or move independently. Um, she does use a walker to get around. So that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. She just got her first wheelchair on Valentine's Day. She thinks it was her Valentine's Day present. I know. It was exciting. Um, And she... It's a manual. So she powers herself. And then... um, But otherwise, she's a pretty typical seven-year-old girl. She's in, like I said, first grade. She stays in the classroom most of the day. And she keeps up really well with the curriculum and her academics. She loves Jojo Siwa. She likes the <laughs> Cardinals, right? Yep. She loves the big bows, Frozen too. You know, she's yep. very, when you think of a first grade girl, Yeah. that's all Ella. Yeah. She loves princesses. That's her. And then um, she's actually a good big sister and loves her little brother. So they have a really good relationship and just play and fight, but overall <laughs> love each other. And so he's wild, but they do really well together. We're pretty, I like to say, pretty average. When yeah. you hear our story, you're kind of like, whoa, she's doing really well. So I'm proud of her for that.
0: I, I love hearing that. And I love kind of starting with where things are today because I know we're going to take people back through a whole lot that mm-hmm. you've that you've been through. So I want to ask, clarify about the wheelchair. So um, mm-hmm. she's seven and so yes. she has a wheelchair that she self powers now. What did mm-hmm. that look like before the wheelchair? And, wh- and what did mobility look like for her when she was, say, one, two, three years old. I'm just curious
2: because I'm not yeah. familiar. Um, We carried her everywhere or okay. she used an umbrella stroller. Okay. She has a, um, it's called an activity chair. It's just a little chair on wheels that she's been pushed around into okay. around school. Yeah. But this okay. gives her independence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Yay. Well, excited to yeah. get to know more about her story. And yes. we don't like to leave out little brothers. So tell us a little about Jake and um, like mobility wise, he's a typical mm-hmm. kid. So I'm sure he's running around and all oh, that. Gosh. What's he into?
2: So he is. Um, have you heard like the phrase all boy? Because mm-hmm. That's my son. He <laughs> is all boy. I found him the other day naked on the top of his closet shelf because <laughs> he had climbed up there. So that's him. But he's a very active, crazy little man. And just right before he drives you crazy, he gives you the biggest hug and tells you he loves you. Oh. And, you know, he's super sweet and protective of Ella and just a three and a half year old boy. That's I love that. Well, way. and that's the mm-hmm.
0: sister he's known. So he doesn't know yes. any anything different. Um, and what a cool way to watch their relationship develop as they get older. So I love that.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, OK, so now let's go back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear about your pregnancy with Ella. And you can just start from the beginning and I'll jump okay. in. Um, but but basically you got pregnant, things were looking good. And then at some Mm -hmm. point you got news that something was not looking, not progressing typically.
2: Correct. So everything was going well and I felt good. And then at my 16 week appointment, I had done the AFP, the alpha fetal protein test. It's just blood work. Mm -hmm. And um, she tested higher for spina bifida, actually. So we went in for a high risk ultrasound to detect that. She did not actually have spina bifida, but there they determined that's when we found out she was a girl Mm -hmm. and then they determined she was actually really small. She had kind of, her growth curve had dropped. And so they were trying to figure that out and they kept saying, well, this looks weird and that looks weird. And her brain looked funny and just all these things did not look right, but they could never give me an answer as Mm -hmm. to what was going on. So we kept going to all these high risk appointments and nobody could tell me anything except that something's not right. And then, um, one day we were in an ultrasound. I was 25 weeks along, and the ultrasound tech just walked out. Mm-hmm. And I had been looking at the measurements, and I could see that she hadn't grown at all since her visit two weeks prior, which wasn't good for a mm-hmm. baby. And um, in the doctor came and said, "You're now on bed rest. You're going straight to our local hospital, which was Mercy, and um, that's where one of our better NICUs is." Mm-hmm. And we just went there. I was on bed rest there for 10 days, where They monitored her blood flow. They tried to figure out what was going on. They kept, I was fine the whole time, but Mm -hmm. they were trying to keep her in as long as possible and make sure they were ready for her. And then at 27 weeks, so I was there for 10 days, 27 weeks, um, they decided her trends were not looking good. She'd had some really bad heart rate trends and drops overnight. Um, And they would position me all sorts of ways just to try to increase her blood Mm -hmm. flow and just to see what they could do. And um, nothing was really working anymore. So she was born and she weighed one pound, seven ounces.
0: Wow. She
2: um, was not doing very well, but better than what they expected, which was good to hear. And she then spent the next four months in the hospital and the NICU there. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was long.
0: I want to jump in here real quick before we get into the NICU stay. And I'm, I'm curious, mm-hmm. um, I know for myself, being in informational limbo is super hard. And I would imagine that mm-hmm. those those weeks between, what did you say? 16 weeks and 25 weeks. And then yeah. eventually when she was born, um, were just really hard not to have answers. Did you, um, did you have ways, did you have anybody you knew who'd had a high risk pregnancy or did you rely really on doctors and nurses? Did you Google everything? Like what was your, mm-hmm. what was going on in your mind as a, as a brand new pregnant person? Um, when you were in that kind of limbo.
2: So I knew nobody, <laughs> I didn't know anybody who'd had a preemie child. Um, I did have a, lady I had worked with who had twins who were burn, born early, but it was for a different reason than why I was in the hospital. So um, unfortunately she lost one of her twins. So yeah. I was really nervous yeah. and um, her twins were born a little bit further along than mine. So that was always in the back of my mind, but she stayed in contact with me and kept telling me, Ella is strong. Ella's doing good. You're doing good. So she kind of encouraged me a lot. I love that. Um, I Googled a lot. <laughs> She, when you're, yeah, she's in the, when she was in the NICU, they gave her this book and I ended up getting this book and it was all about preemies. And when she found out I was on Brad Rush, she immediately brought me that book just so I could read through it and understand what people were telling me. Because Mm -hmm. for a while they were talking about um, when Ella was in the NICU and while I was on bed rest, they kept talking about Brady. And I didn't know who Brady was or why he was here. But then I later learned that was a heart rate drop. So oh, I was okay. completely clueless. Yeah. And, it, and I just didn't know what was going on. And I was just kind of blissfully unaware, but also just kind of in denial. I was like, well, I can feel her moving. Right. I think she's okay. Right. So I kind of had a hard time believing what they were saying because they weren't very positive and right. termination of the pregnancy came up at once Um, not being able to do anything independently came up a lot and I'm hope I was hoping it was worse scenarios, which it obviously was, but, you know, I just tried to stay positive and I think being blissfully unaware was good. I think my husband on the other hand was panicked the whole time, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's wow. Um, and, and how about those 10 days in the hospital? Did it start to become real that, um, this was no longer just a high risk pregnancy, but you were actually, you know, probably going to deliver a very, very small, very early baby when you were actually in the hospital?
2: It did. They told me they wouldn't let me go further than 32 weeks. So we knew a NICU stay Mm -hmm. was going to happen no matter what. We talked to um, neonatologists, the nurse practitioner, nurses, everybody kind of came in quite often and filled us in. Um, And I think the most memorable part of the pregnancy was for me was on Thanksgiving. The doctor came in and said, um, Cause she was born in November. So okay. on Thanksgiving, he, he came in and said, you're not going to, you're not going to be here next week. I can already tell you that. And, and, that, we and that's because like, they
0: were looking at her growth and her blood supply. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like yeah. a preterm labor situation where you where it's Mm-mm. like the baby wants to be born. This is on her thriving on the inside.
2: Exactly. I've actually never been in labor. Right. I, just because they took her by C-section and then my son the same way. Yeah. So well, I have I three children, know.
0: and I also have never been in labor because I had a, a medically necessary planned C-section the first time, and then I had yeah. repeats. <laughs> so I'm with you. Yes, exactly. Uh, five exactly. I wouldn't even know. Us. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: so she was born by C-section. Did it? Was it mm-hmm. um, a rush to the operating room situation, or it just became clear that it was time?
2: It just kind of became clear it was time. We were worried it was going to be a rush, but um, I have a really strong and well-known OB I think and mm-hmm. she made it very clear that she was going to deliver the baby and uh-huh. she was going to be in charge which I really appreciated because then my husband was going to work while I was on bed rest and okay. he, I think felt better knowing that she was not going to deliver the baby and I even felt better unless right. he was there right so they told me one morning at like 9:40, I went back and looked at my texts randomly <laughs> at 9:47, they told me you're going to have the baby and I texted Kurt this afternoon and he was in my hospital room 15 minutes later and he works about 20 minutes away oh my god so yeah <laughs> he had a really fun drive but um so that was like 10 a.m and she was born in the about 152 in the afternoon they gave me the epidural really slowly over the course of an hour because they were afraid it would be traumatic to her okay so everything kind of moved slower for her safety for that but then once I had the epidural and I was numb like we went down to the um, operating room at like 150 and she was born two minutes later so once they were ready it went quick
0: okay well so that was super helpful to kind of understand how that progressed Mm -hmm. and so I'd love for you to then talk about this next phase which is you Mm -hmm. just delivered a one pound seven ounces is that what you said 27 weeks preemie um -hmm. so talk as much as you'd like about what life was like for that next four months I know Ella had some ups and downs um Mm -hmm within that NICU stay. So yeah, just, just
2: tell the story and I'll jump in uh, if necessary. Okay. Yeah. So after she was born, um, I didn't get to see her. My husband took her or went away with her and um, they just stayed in the NICU while they set her up and intubated her and did all that. He was fortunate enough that she was actually strong enough. He got to cut the cord. So that was really special for him. But then as soon as that happened, they were gone. Um, I went into recovery and then I got to go see her a few hours later, but Um, I didn't get to hold her for until December 10th. So 11 days, I didn't even get to touch my baby. And I started to go crazy. And I I was convinced they were doing an experiment on her to see what it happens when you don't touch a child for so long. As a teacher, you know how you hear all those horrible things as a teacher about how important? I was sure they were doing an experiment on her because I was just so upset. And they tell me, you can hold her tomorrow. And I'd come in super early and be already. And they say, no, not today. And that probably happened five or six times. I was so heartbroken. And you were probably discharged
0: after a few days, four days, four days. Yeah. Yeah. So you were coming in from home. Was it far Was the hospital far? I know this is hospital commutes are a big deal for NICU families.
2: Yeah. It was, it wasn't too bad for us. It was about 25 minutes. It wasn't terrible. So pretty much a highway drive. So not bad. Um, but yeah, I had to get, that was hard too. Leaving the hospital, we got discharged and they didn't even bring me a wheelchair because they forgot I had just had a C-section oh because gosh. I was in a different area okay. than the moms recovering because they didn't want me to hear babies to upset oh me. Babies gosh. crying. So I walked out four days after a C-section and um, all the other moms and their babies were there. And yeah. I think my husband and I just sat in the car and cried because yeah. it was, we were just so sad, Yeah. but we went home and we took a really nice nap because we'd been sleeping in a hospital yeah. for 14 days. And um, we just, I mean, it's kind of a blur, but I feel like it was kind of just a big numb blur. Yeah, You couldn't really, we heard a lot of negative things yeah. and then good things would happen. She, I like to describe her as my bubble girl hmm. because they'd be like, okay, she's not coming off the, intub- she was intubated, not coming off the ventilator yet. So we're going to talk about Maybe a trach, and then the next day she'd do it. Uh-huh. Or, you know, she's not coming off this oxygen yet, and then the next day she'd do it. Like she was that kid who just right as we'd start to get worried would do it. Uh-huh. And um, we heard a lot of, like I said before, worst case scenarios. It's mm-hmm. going to be this. And then she'd prove them all wrong. Um, she had to have three surgeries while she was there. She had a hernia repair, two hernia repairs. One was actually an emergency because um, her first hernia repair called her caused her umbilical hernia to swell up even worse so we were out getting ready for her to come home that was the last step this hernia repair the g button place and then she's going to come home so we were getting ready and then we got the call that they wanted to take her to surgery and we needed to come up there and sign the paperwork now and we were just like what so we rushed up there and she's in this umbilical surgery which Because she'd had surgery the day before, she just did not recover well from, Mm -hmm. she was on the ventilator longer. She was miserable and her belly was all black and blue and bruised. And I think that was the most mad I'd been because I was like, I'm supposed to take her home. What did you just do to her? And it was on a Saturday. So it wasn't a pediatric surgeon, but um, that turned out actually to be a blessing because she was going to come home on oxygen. But then because she had to stay longer, her nurse decided one day to just pull it and mm-hmm. see what happened because she was on lowest setting and she did it so we stayed an additional week to prove she could stay off oxygen mm-hmm. and um then she got to come home oxygen free at least but it was kind of just a long yeah blur four of, months you said four. yes just just waiting
0: and tell me um so I have a couple questions so tell me about mm-hmm. the cerebral palsy diagnosis and how that Um, how and when that came about as part of the NICU stay?
2: So part of the NICU thing is they examine everything. And one of the things they did was a brain ultrasound. And on that ultrasound, they determined she had a um, brain bleed. And it was a very mild brain bleed from what I remember being told. Very small. And they said, if you have to have a brain bleed, this is a good one to have because it's very simple and usually resolves. But of course, my child has to be the (laughs) unique one. And um, she was about not quite two weeks old when they told us that. So we kind of knew something was coming and they continued to monitor it and it wasn't resolving and wasn't really healing well on its own. So she ended up with the first diagnosis at two months old. Um, It's called PVL, periventricular leukomalacia. And that's basically just a white matter brain injury, which is similar to a stroke. Um, She don't, they're not sure if she actually had a stroke or not, because it would have happened in the womb. It didn't happen in Uh the NICU. So they're not quite sure why it happened. But um, that's kind of what the diagnosis she received. Then when she was two years old, so because she had that, she got first step services, which here is the early intervention program for Uh children below three. And um, we had PT and OT coming out all the time. And they um, referred us to a neurosurgeon to do the surgery for her, who then was able to officially give her the cerebral palsy diagnosis at two and a half. Okay. So, yeah.
0: And when you, when you had that diagnosis, again, kind of going back to the same thing with the high-risk pregnancy, you're constantly Mm -hmm. waiting and refining the information that's Mm -hmm. available and what that means for the future. So in terms of her future growth and mobility, was that all laid out for you in the beginning? Or was that also a process that took a couple of years to understand what the future would be like?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of still an ongoing process, in Mm -hmm. all honesty, because we we don't know. We really don't. Um, we know where her brain injury is and what parts of her brain and how much is there. So we can, the neurologist kind of gave us a guess and a prediction is what he thought. And then um, that was when she was an infant and we were reviewing her MRI and what her brain looked like. But then her neurosurgeon is kind of been looking at her progress and seeing how she's doing. And he gives a kind of different prognosis, mm-hmm. but we really just don't know because fortunately there's a lot of surgeries and technologies and things Mm -hmm. out there now that can help. And it's just figuring out what do we want to do? What do we want to put Ella through? What Mm -hmm. can we afford to do? What can we keep up with? Mm -hmm. And just figuring it out. It was really hard at first. And I feel like we bought every book you could ever buy Mm -hmm. and read it and just became really overwhelmed. And we were really sad. And we actually didn't tell anybody for a long time because I think we had to process it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then when we finally did, we found a lot of support, which was good. And then, you know, we've just kind of been doing what we felt has been best for her since. She's had a couple of elective surgeries. Mm -hmm. Um, One is a dorsal rhizotomy, which is a spinal surgery, which reduces the spasticity, which is the tightness in her arms and legs. So Mm -hmm. she's not all, you know, crunched up and curled up and tight. And it seems to have helped her. And we actually just followed up with that neurosurgeon this past Monday and, uh, we scheduled another surgery to help with her hips because her hips are really tight now. So now we have a hip surgery coming up on March 20th to try to help her with that. So just a lot of hoping and guessing. And we found a doctor we really trust. Yeah, And um, I just kind of try to do what he says because I don't know, but he's smart enough to know.
0: Yes. I think that, I think I can just relate to that. Um, It it Mm -hmm. is helpful to have someone you trust. And there's no way for you to know it all. I mean, you could read all of the books um, and mm-hmm. you'd still want that, those trusted um, sources. So how, yes. how, um, how much had she grown when you got to bring her home? Was that, did that feel like kind
2: of a, a big milestone to get to bust her out of that place? It did. I, I had, when we were bringing her home, it kind of felt unreal and like we we're in a dream. And I can remember sitting there at our house with her and I was like, she's here." <laughs> now what do we do? Yeah. Cause we were, she was technically about a month old because of the way they adjust yeah. prematurity, but she was a newborn and we were just kind of looking at each other and she was still really tiny. She was maybe six or seven pounds. Okay. And we just, you know, we were like, okay, what do we do now? Because for so long we had to get nurses permission to do everything Yeah, that I was like, can I change her diaper? Right. I would ask my husband and he's like, I don't know. And I was like, is it, do we feed her now? Do we, what do we do? We don't have somebody telling us what to do and when to do it. And yeah. everything in the hospital is so you have to take her temperature and yeah. then you change your diaper and you yeah. wipe this way. And then you, and it was just very hard to break that cycle. And it was kind of freeing when we finally got to control everything. We were like, when we finally were able yeah. to let it all go, we were like, all right, we are the parents. And I remember, um, we became Facebook friends with all her nurses because uh-huh. they cared for her for so long. And yeah, when she had when she had been home for 117 days, I said something on Facebook about how she's finally been mine longer than she's been uh-huh. the hospitals. And one of the nurses got on there and commented and said, Ashley, she's always been yours. We've oh. just been helping. And oh. I was just like, Okay, but it's for real now. Yeah. And she's like, I know, but she's <laughs> always been yours. It was just hard. It was just weird. Yes. Yeah.
0: No, I can totally see that. So this is a big question, but I'm curious. You've been a mom for seven years now, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you've looked back. How do you think this experience affected the way you came into motherhood and parenting? And do you see ways that it continues to play out today? I mean, you have Jake Mm -hmm. and you have your, Mm -hmm. you know, life. Like you said, you're a typical family. And um, Mm -hmm. but that's a that is a. That is a challenging way to come into parenting. When you look back, yeah. can you see kind of some of the effects of that kind of experience on how you parent today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with, I guess, the negative. It's definitely made me more anxious. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of everything. And I know everything that could go wrong ever in a pregnancy. <laughs> so if you're a pregnant person and have a question, don't come to me because yeah. I'll tell you the my case. experience. Yeah. It, because that's what happened to me, right? Um. And it's made me just a little more anxious and nervous and cold and flu season. I get paranoid. They're going to get sick or they're going to, you know, and I just start cleaning everything. And I just, I just, I worry a little bit more probably than I should sometimes. But then at the same time, you know, I'm really thankful she's alive Mm -hmm. because I saw babies who didn't come out of the NICU Mm -hmm. and um, that very easily could have, and almost was my baby several times. Mm -hmm. So we're just really blessed with that. And then um, having Jake, Jake's pregnancy, besides the fact that I was sick and gained sixty pounds <laughs> and he was head in my hip and I could hardly walk, it went really well. And it was just kind of healing. I was telling my husband that the other day, his pregnancy was really healing because it was like, Okay, this can be normal. Yeah, here it is. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect, it's been a blessing because we've realized everything we have that is a blessing and um, we've even talked we, the reason we're in the area we are now is because we moved to a different school district for Ella to have better services. Mm-hmm. And we love it here and we love our neighbors and we love our home. And we wouldn't be here had Ella not been that way. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have left my old job in my old district to get to where I am. You know, just all the little things we realized yeah. a lot of it is because we had to change our plan because of mm-hmm. Ella. And it sounds, I feel kind of weird saying, I feel blessed by our cerebral palsy, but I realize it's brought us a lot of blessings Mm -hmm. as well. made us realize a lot of little things and brought some good things in our life. Um, We sometimes don't even realize, I say we're typical, but we don't realize sometimes that we do things differently than most people because Mm -hmm. that's just how it is. Most people aren't in their seven-year-old around or getting their seven-year-old ready every morning, but she is just so happy all the time and positive that she's fun to be around and she's cheerful and silly and so she seems like a typical seven-year-old, but she doesn't have the attitude knock on wood right. yet because she, you know, relies on us. So yeah. we have a really good relationship and it's kind of a different way of thinking, but we feel a lot more blessed and we realize that we kind of need each other a little bit yeah, more. So it's I think an, it keeps our family intimacy. closer.
0: Yeah. an intimacy mm-hmm. when I'm listening to you of not just you and her, but the whole family, um, mm-hmm. because yes. you've had to clarify what's important and kind of shrink yeah. your world at times. To eliminate everything that is non-essential. And I think that's a common thing we hear from families who've gone through something. I'm curious. I mean, we have thousands of moms listening to this and many Mm -hmm. of them have (laughs) kids who are growing typically. Is there something (laughs) you think um, families who haven't gone through a challenge like this might be surprised at or that you'd want um, families that don't look like yours to know or understand?
2: I feel like this is very cliche, but just Accept us for who we are. The mm-hmm. best things our friends have done for us have been let us show up and them show up for mm-hmm. us. They don't worry that Ella's different and they don't even really, they haven't even really told their kids Ella's different. Mm-hmm. That's, she's just Ella. And right. that's how Ella is. And um, I've talked to them once before and they've said their kids have asked, why doesn't Ella walk? And they tell them and the kids just accept it. And right. Ella still gets invited to birthday parties. Parents, um, thankfully, don't hesitate to invite her. They just kind of invite Mm -hmm. us and we go and we figured out how to make it work and they just let us do our thing. So I think just invite Mm -hmm. a parent and say, we're here to support you and we would appreciate it. There are times when, especially when she was first born and first really receiving her diagnosis, it was really hard for me to go out and be around other people Mm -hmm. who were typical. And when their kids started walking and mine wasn't, and um, I didn't want to go out because it was just hard for me emotionally to be. Around that, and they just kept inviting me and kept including me, and that was good too because it wasn't them; it was more me just trying to figure stuff out. Yeah, and I don't think I try to hide a lot of the emotional stuff because I don't want Ella is just seven; Mm -hmm. she believes she's going to walk one day, so I do too, and Mm -hmm. she believes she's also going to be a ballerina one day. (laughs) So I try not to be negative around her because we just throw out a lot of positive. So. Having people see that, but also know that maybe I'm not always 100% positive and just yeah. could use some time to vent or be sad.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, whether that's by myself or alone with my girls is really appreciated too. Just yeah. check in on, even if mom seems perfectly happy and doing things, yeah. check in. Maybe offer to help out one night or one of my friends has an older daughter and she'll say, Do you want a babysitter? And just different things like that yeah. just to give us a break too helps yeah. because it's hard to find a babysitter that can handle them.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love every single thing that you said, I think is so um, actionable for typical families to just remember inclusivity and acceptance and checking in on one another. Um, So I love that. I love that. Well, and I would imagine that you've been able to be a source of support. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, the Facebook community and Mm -hmm. getting online and learning everything that you can. So talk a little bit about Um, I guess it's a two part question. Talk about the community you've found maybe online or in person through this, but also maybe how you see your role as helping others or raising awareness or just being, being someone who's been there uh, for somebody else. So um,
2: there's a lot of online communities that I found and I've just made connections. I was in a mommy group when I was pregnant and then um, someone in that mommy group had a cousin who had cerebral palsy. So I've just found random connections with a bunch of people that I can talk to and ask questions to. And then on the flip side, I've had friends who knew I had a baby who was born earlier or had this diagnosis and they've sent their friends to me to be Mm -hmm. their support. So that's kind of nice. And it's also really good for me to share because I realized, wow, we have come a long way and Mm -hmm. it feels good to help somebody because maybe there is a purpose behind this. Mm -hmm. And then um, in person, I found a lot of friends from the schools that Ella's been in. We've joined a local charity called Variety Club and they do a lot of fun activities for kids who have all sorts of abilities Mm -hmm. and disabilities. And um, I found some friends in there who have children who are very similar to Ella that I can reach out to and ask questions for and who Ella can look up to. Mm -hmm. And we can kind of lean on each other. And that's really a good support for her too, because one of her really good friends, so she calls is 15, but they have the exact same kind of cerebral palsy. And the 15 year old had never seen anybody like her until Uh she met Ella. And so even for the girls, it's just a good bonding. And I do, like you said, try to raise awareness too, because there's so much that could have gone wrong or did go wrong that I may not even know that we're still trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently learned that my body doesn't produce folic acid. So that could very well be Uh a reason. I know really random, but um, that could have been a reason why Mm -hmm. Ella was born prematurely and had struggles. So just, you know there's different testings that we could be doing prior to pregnancy to set women up for better pregnancies and not these complications Mm -hmm. that we're just learning about. So just trying to raise awareness for healthy babies, healthy moms, like let's do stuff before women get pregnant. If we're able just to give them all the nutrients we need. Because when I was pregnant with Jake, I took more folic acid and I took a um, baby aspirin a day to lower, uh, make it's like a blood thinner, which Mm -hmm. I guess helps you absorb stuff better. Okay, And, he had a perfectly normal pregnancy. So the two were night and day. Was it because of that little step? And just, you know, maybe more women could do that. Yeah. Take these tests before and then not have to struggle through pregnancy.
0: I mean, just listening to you talk, it sounds like you've found a balance between really educating yourself a lot and you've had to, mm-hmm. um, but also accepting accepting what is and just being super grateful for the amazing kid that you have and the family that you have and um, I find that super inspirational, and I know people listening will as well because it has not been an easy <laughs> yeah. road for you guys, but it's really fun to, to hear about your family. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. Um, our listeners know when they listen to our show, they can check out the links in the show notes at themomhour.com. Mm-hmm. So if there's any other resources that come to mind that you think might help people um, who have listened to this and want to know more, You can shoot those off to me and we'll make sure to make a really good list in the show notes um, for people who, you know, want to want to check out the resources that you recommend um, and that have helped you. So we'll do that for sure. And Ashley, we just really appreciate you being here. And thanks so much for sharing about your
2: family. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me and allowing me to share. Of course. Well, thanks everyone
1: for listening and a big thanks to Ashley for sharing her story and Ella's story. Sarah, I loved that interview.
0: Well, thank you. I really, truly loved the conversation. So thank you, Ashley. We also want to thank March of Dimes for sponsoring this episode and working with us all month long to raise awareness for Birth Defects Prevention Month and the Best for You, Best for Baby initiative. We hope you'll check out their tips and resources at marchofdimes.org slash the mom hour.
1: We'll be back with you on Tuesday of next week with an all new episode. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you then.